Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. Hi everybody, welcome to the ODI. I'm the Head of Marketing and Membership, uh, Hannah. It's my great pleasure to introduce Isabel Marchand here today from Lloyds Banking Group, who will be talking about uh, using data to tell stories. Um, just a few housekeeping things before Isabel kicks off. Um, there will be an opportunity to ask questions at the end. I'll be passing your mic. Please talk into the mic so that people watching on the live stream can hear you. It won't project your voice, so don't be surprised if you just sound like yourself when you're talking through it. And uh, for people watching through the live stream, please use hashtag ODI Fridays and I will read out your questions later. Over to you. Thanks. Thank you, Anna. <clears throat> so thank you for coming. Um, today, I came here uh, to tell you about a growing issue. Actually, with the rise of data, big data, analytics, open data, we're kind of seeing the world splitting into two categories. Um, on one side, you have people who can understand the data, uh, they deal with it, they manipulate it, um, they play with it, uh, and I'm thinking to data scientists, data architects, data journalists like me. And on the other side, you have everyone else, people who are not as data literate, maybe. So the question becomes, how do you do when the decision maker is, um, the decision maker is not the data person, when, and, and when the decision maker is not as data literate as the data person. And what happens when data people are trying to communicate to non-data people? How can they do it? Um, so I work closely with analysts uh, at Lloyd's Banking Group. And usually what happens uh, when, I receives, um, uh, when I receive presentation or decks and it's people forward me, hold they can everything they can on a slide or a couple of slides. It's full of charts, full of um, text here, there, here. And I was just like wondering, okay, um, how can I make sense of it? And I think it's, this is where is the dangerous part because if you ask your audience to make sense of your own data, you run the risk that they interpret it in the wrong way or they just disengage with it. And if they disengaged or misinterpret, then but business decisions are made. So how can we um, increase, like, improve data people's communication and increase um, um, decision makers' understanding? I think storytelling can help um, because everyone likes a good story. Uh, it's easy. It will help people who are not interested into the data to engage with it and it will help will, a willful audience to actually remember the data and the story. Um, so then I'm just like, how, how, can you, how can you build a good storytelling? Um, I don't have any magic recipe, I wish I had, but there are a series of steps you can undertake that will help you just to add a bit more of a flow. Um, this is where I'm gonna first tell you about my work. So I'm gonna pick a couple of my works and uh, tell you some tips. And afterwards, I'm gonna give you general tips that you can apply in your everyday work that hopefully will help you to infuse some storytelling. So uh, this is a slice of an infographic I've presented, um, I've created for my colleagues uh, at Lois Banking Group. Um, my boss came to me and said, Isabel, 
I think we should uh, create something about um, cybersecurity because obviously it's a huge concern for us on two sides. On one side, um, the customers. Obviously, um, as a customer, I can have my card clone or I can just lose my bank details being victim of criminal um, on online criminality. And as a colleague, because obviously if I click on the wrong link, I can just put the safety of my whole organization at risk. And the problem we encounter is like my audience, my colleagues, I think anti-phishing campaigns have been, have been around for ages. We all receive these emails. We don't even click, uh, we do the training like this, oh, IBC, okay, go. So how do you re-engage with an audience that is already tired by the material? How? So what I did is like, I was like, okay, color coding, very easy, red is bad. I know it's simple, but like, it's essential. Red, bad, maybe green, good. An expensive and invasive threat. Um, here, I'm trying to catch your attention. What is the threat? Um, sh is there something I don't know I should get, uh, uh, I, I should get some detail about? Then this is my hook, 20 cyber fraud cost in the UK an estimated 27 billion a year. I want you to kind of wonder, oh, 27 billion is such a high figure. I mean, how come? Then those three little stats are my personal ways uh, of engaging and uh, to, to help you relate to my facts. So one in 10, I've been victim of cybercrime. I want you to kind of wonder, um, uh, maybe it's been, it, it was me or it was your sister or your mother. One in 10 is quite a huge figure. Then 5.8 million plus cyber incidents happened and 1.4 million internet connected devices were inve infected with a virus. All the things we heard of, or uh, we've been, we lived it, or like some of my, I mean, one of my friends had his computer locked uh, like very recently, you know, this ransomware, they ask you for a ransom and you, you don't have access to your computer until you pay. So it kind of resonates with me, or oh, hopefully with you too. This fact uh, is my takeaway stat, is if tonight you go uh, back to your uh, dinner table and you say something like, oh, darling, do you know you're 20 times more likely to be robbed on, the, on your computer than on the street? I've won. It's a success for me because I've brought you something interesting that you, uh, you, you take with you. It's not about just telling, telling you guys like uh, what, you want, what I want you to know. Uh, it's not my message. This is where maybe marketing is kind of a bit difficult and, and they're always like, oh yeah, this is what I want to tell them. But I think what you need to do is have this, keep this balance, you know, 50-50 is like, that is interesting, I think, for you to know, guys. And this is my message. And this is why I'm telling you this, okay? So a bit. This one is an interactive dashboard. Um, so I produced for my executives. It, uh, it, tells, um, it tells about interaction, how our customers access the bank. What here, what is important is your audience. You always define your audience uh, firsthand. When I think executives in the bank, I'm just like, oof, those people have very little time. They are constantly in a hurry and have a bunch of papers to read constantly. So what do I do? I'm like, mm, time poor people should know how much time they're gonna spend on your content, okay? So at the beginning, I said, okay, if you have very little time, you can go and click focus on three minute reading. 
If you have a bit more time, you can go six-minute trading evolution. What is the data, like comparison, what happened in the past, and what's going to happen in the future, forecast, whatever. Then, 10 minutes trading uh, in context. I'm going to show you the interaction with the context. It's not just like about your data, it's putting like an environment to it. Then, I think um, I always I always think that people may drop out of at any time. At some point, like uh, they're reading and, you know, we've all done it, uh, like in the middle of an article, oh my God, it's so, too long, I'm going to do something else. Oh, notification, and up, you're out. So what I do is like, hot, this is trending, meaning it's hot stuff. It needs, my audience need to know. I think they would be interested and it, it's the change. Most important information at the top. Then a little more. Uh, I assume, so this is already treated data, I assume that is what is going to interest you, but maybe it's not. Maybe you want to dig into the data yourself, maybe you want another angle, so I make it available. You can click and download the data. Um, here is not for Lloyds Banking Group, it's for a company that is called Arcadist. They produced an index of sustainable city, they had 100 cities. And they said, okay, can you do something with it? We'd like to communicate about it. So they said, mm, okay, 100 cities, it's a bit much. Uh, so I'm not sure on one page it's going to fit. So what can I do to interest my audience? So I thought, I was like, mm, the infographic and the index will be released in London. So if I was European, which I am, what would I be interested in? I think I would be very much interested in my city, London. How do they compare? How do we compare? But also I'd be quite interested in two like other European cities. And maybe I'll be interested in having a contrast with mm, America. Are they as dodgy as we know they are in terms of pollution, obviously. Or like, um, or like yeah, China or, or any, Dubai as well. I try to be, show some empathy. What would be the best comparison? What would my audience be interested in, okay? Uh, and I think, I think here as well, selection of the information is crucial. It's not because you put everything up there that you kind of cover it, you know? It's not going to justify your work as well, because lots of, I mean, what I see often is like, oh yeah, I worked so much on this project, I can't just put five facts, it's not going to justify all that time I spend on it. But if you put too much, people will not just, they won't engage with it. So it's going to be lost anyway. Okay, I've created this image uh, for a series of series of, um, of articles. It was like those hilarious situations uh, all Londoners know about. And I picked it up for this presentation because I thought, you don't need that much um, to create storytelling. <coughs> Sometimes it's just about an image and two digits, because with this, I'm actually telling you a big story about peak hours, uh, peak hour in London, I'm telling you the state of the underground, I'm telling you uh, some emotion as well, I think uh, a bit of fun, hopefully, and my, my frustration, and I may relate to you because you may have seen this before as well, and leave this uh, all good. So, Maybe at this stage, you're thinking, okay, that's fine. Um, she, it's her job. She can do it, but I'm not sure I can. And there, I'm going to say, mm, I would like to prove you that everyone can do it, that creating storytelling is just a human characteristic, that um, it's where like, our brain is wired to create stories. So 
and I can prove it. So consider this text. He went to the store and he died. Sharon went hungry and wept. So now two very, very simple questions. Why did Sharon uh, go hungry and why did she weep? So most of you must have guessed that Sharon went hungry maybe because Andy uh, died on its way to the grocery store and that she's really sad because um, Andy was her husband or close relative. And if I was to tell you that those three sentences have no link together, they're actually extracted from three different texts and that it's you guys that made a connection. Read it again. You made a connection that wasn't there because the brain is naturally wired to put things together, to link unrelated events. And data uh, scientists, scientists in general, know very well this problem because they see it as a problem. It's called um, correlation doesn't mean causality. Often, it's not because you see a result that it's, um, 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 there is an immediate reason, okay? So now, what are my big tips, general tips for storytelling that you can apply to virtually everything? Um, first, define what is your main takeaway. Um, often, what happens is like we have a bunch of facts and we want to put everything up there. I think my advice would be to take one, what is the most surprising element? What is the most interesting? Uh, what do you think your audience would be most interested in? You take that element and you actually gear up your presentation or your content or whatever, like your one pager around this. Because everything that is unrelated to this event may just be, not be noise. It may just like confuse your audience. This is as important as um, your main takeaway because you're going to choose your takeaway. I understand you have a message. We all want to say something up there. But if your audience doesn't care, what's the point of putting it out? Try to tailor your content to your audience. Who is your audience? Why would they be interested in, in it? So what? Okay. Um, are you talking their language? So what happens often is like, especially in data uh, environment, we suffer from the curse of knowledge. We assume because we know, everyone knows, but that's untrue. And often when you're talking to white agents, they get lost. Don't ask them to make an effort to understand you. It's lost. Don't ask them to Google something, to understand jargon, abbreviation, anything. Make it easy for them and you'll be understood and, and hopefully um, followed. Um, what I think as well, what I do is very simple, is like when um, I'm producing content for a wide audience or someone who's not as specialized in my area, I'm just thinking, okay, if I was sat in a pub telling this to one of my friends, how would I say it? And with that method, it's going to be quite clear, hopefully. This is often an overlooked step. People think that once the presentation is up there, like infographic content, that's fine. Okay, I'm over it. And I just like, the headlines is the most important thing. Like in journalism, we say uh, journalists, they spend like 95, uh, like they spend 
90% of their time working on the text, uh, the content of the article, and 95% to work on the headlines. Because this is going to tell uh, your audience if your content is interesting or if it can just be ignored. Okay? So I'm going to say something very controversial, but to be fully fair, and um, the Daily Mail <laughs> is really good at it. They have those attention-grabbing titles, and I'm not surprised that they're um, the most visited news outlet online in the world. So I'm, I'm far from uh, backing up the content, obviously, <laughs> but I think you should get some inspiration from them because honestly, like, they have something with them. Okay? So that's the end of my presentation. Um, if you want to have a look at the infographics, I've created a whole bunch. Please go on my website. If you have any questions um, or anything, please just stay in touch and uh, send me a little tweet or anything. Any questions? Thank you. Do we have any questions to kick us off? Okay, I've got one to kick off with. Um, what's the biggest challenge that people experience when trying to tell stories through, through data? Mm, I, think, I think sometimes it's difficult to make this difference between to where to start. Where do I start? What is interesting for my audience? I think sometimes it gets difficult because we all have our own point of views and obviously we think what it's, it's difficult. Like for instance, I work in a bank and um, like how do you connect with people who are not from the different background as you are? How do you relate to those people and how do you provide them with the best solution? You know, it's the same with data. How do you provide the best information to the right people? How do you know how it's interesting for them? I think this is why you need to understand your audience as much as you can. Thank you. Any other questions? Yeah. I would be interested to know more at the beginning. How you collect the data for writing, let's say, history? So, okay, in my case, um, to be fair, like my job is divided in two parts. So 70% of, of, of my job is going to be data analysis, meaning like I'm going to read a whole bunch of reports because I work in the customer insight part of my, uh, of my company. So we have access to a customer's data, like a lot, an incredible amount of data. And from there, I'm like considering the business. So uh, business needs. Is it in mortgage, loan, uh, like remortgage, anything, insurance? Where is the need? And then um, I go through the report, put the story together. I'm like, oh, this is quite an interesting fact. Why? You're, as a data journalist, you're really much a journalist. You're kind of hunting for, for good stories. So why would it be interesting and to whom? And then I just collect the data. I just like some, at the moment, so, or it's already available in different reports. I just have to tie them together. Well, at the moment, I had to refresh some data. So I'm just like, going to team up with a data scientist and say, OK, this is the story. Here's what I would need. What do you think? Do you think it's a good story or not? And they're going to just do some da like SQL. I mean, data, um, get some data from the warehouse. And, uh, and I mean, if you have unstructured data, this means words. How you codify from the words into data and then analyze it? I'm, I'm, I'm after, this, after this. I come 
I'm doing backwards. It's not like I come to the data set and I'm trying to understand the data set. I come from an outside perspective. I'm like, okay, this is kind of an anomaly. Why do I see this peak in the data? And I'm like, there must be a story there. And I try to explain. So I don't, my data set, they're already clean, you know, because I know what I'm looking for. You, you kind of come from a background where you have like the whole data, if I do understand well, I'll get tell me if I'm wrong, like you have the data and you're kind of like, oh, what am I looking for? Is there some pick and trust? But on my side, I've al I already know what I want. I'm like, oh, there is an evolution, like the aging population, so they would need a new product. How can we answer that need? Like, oh, I have those dashboards as well, like lots of Tableau dashboards. I'm just like, mm, that's interesting over time. Why is there like a peak here and not there? And why with these people, this sample? So my, my data is clean already. I mean, it shows trends already. mentioned uh, some of your work is, um, is targeted at the executives within the bank. Are, are those people your main audience or do you sort of work for other, uh, work for other target audiences too? And also, um, what is, in all the data analysis that you've done, exploring all this uh, you know, huge amounts of customer data, what's the most interesting thing that you've found out? Um, <clears throat> so. My audience, we have some internal, some sort of Facebook, uh, because we're trying, obviously, uh, Lloyds Banking Group is such a big company. We have like 8,000 people working there. So you don't want different departments working on the same thing uh, at the same time or like doing it. The best way we found against this is collaboration. So we have this internal Facebook where you can post um, a lot. So I post my infographics there. Uh, usually people, they come back to me as well and they say, oh, have you tried, like, have you explored this? We would be extremely interested in knowing more about this. So it sparks the debate between all colleagues. It's not just executive. Obviously, executive have access to it, but it's more general. And then I do have, uh, I do have requests from uh, executives. But it's um, usually... Even if it's at the beginning, it's just for executives. It can like uh, it's it can get mainstream afterwards. You know, like I can. It, it doesn't have to be just for them. It can they can launch the request, but then it, it gets open for a wider audience. So usually myself, I create most often than not for a very wide audience, like all sorts of colleagues from branch people to data scientists or like insurance or anything really. And your second question was, what is the most interesting thing in the data? Honestly, I love my job because the data we have access to is just incredible. Imagine like all the people who have a Lloyd's, Lloyd's Halifax, uh, Bank of Scotland account, uh, who have access to their data. And it's anonymous data, obviously, I have no clue about your overdraft. <laughs> but it's, it's really, um, I think you can draw fascinating patterns uh, with um, aging population or like mortgage. Like for instance, um, when you analyze the data, uh, and it's not secret that for instance, uh, the age of people getting a mortgage is older and older. You can see that um, now um, with the life expectancy as well, how do, um, how do they manage to live 20 years more on a pension? I mean, you can see like, you can see kind of amazing patterns. I mean, uh, young, like you see youngsters doing very well or like spending their money or like, oh, the interesting facts as well, uh, funny stuff I could see, it was like, um, um, 
loan and mortgage. Like in the uh, 18, 24 years old, I could see that um, lots of young men are taking a loan way more than it was like 40, 60, way more than, than women, young women. And when you look into um, what are they taking a loan for? Automobile, obviously. And then on the other side, you see those women, uh, the young women, 18, 24, what are they doing with their money? And they're actually getting mortgage. And when you think, yeah, yeah, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because you're thinking like women have babies, like uh, the, the first um, um, children, uh, child per woman is, is getting like women before it was like 25. And nowadays it's like 32, I think 33, the average age of first child. So they have this whole time and the gender pay gap is reducing as well. This we can see in the data. So all sorts of things, like you can see gender evolution, you can see people's evolution. I mean, I have so many interesting topics. Uh, it's, it's just incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm just curious about the, the use of more interactive tools in your work, like say apps or platforms in comparison to, um, I don't know, infographics or, or more lineal uh, yeah, uh, tools. And then how is that, that use related to the type of audience? So if it's, now that you say that it's people that don't have time or the, uh, they don't put that effort that you would, imagine so I'm curious about how do you use it yeah um, so obviously very good question the format um, is always important um, I'm just thinking interactive tools uh, we use Tableau so uh, in the bank uh, you it's Tableau software it's kind of um, it's yeah it's, it allows you to create uh, interactive dashboards and whole stories and it, it can be very inventive um, in terms of, I mean, in my previous job, uh, we used Click, which is kind of the same thing, thing as Tableau. Uh, I know lots of people are using D3. We're kind of using R a bit, but it's like, uh, as it's open source, I think it's quite a, it's a question of safety. It's not really, uh, um, it's been don't encouraged that much. Um, how do you then tailor uh, the content, to I mean, the format to the audience? Uh, I think it depends on the amount of data more than your audience. Obviously, uh, you have to, your, the amount of data you're going to select uh, is going to depend on your audience. But the format until in which you deliver is going to depend of, on the amount of data. Like, for instance, when I was, um, I, I used to work for the Ford Motor Company, and we had this huge amount of data on trends. What do people uh, like to buy for their cars? Like, uh, is uh, in Croatia more, um, or like Germany, more about like, um, 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 is, uh, like to, it was, it was really, f it was everything from the cigarette holder to um, the um, sunscreen to like anything really. And we, we mapped it by, by countries, like uh, in Greece, uh, they had like lots of uh, cigarette holders. It was quite in interesting, or like in Turkey, like white was one of the main color, but way before it was such a trend in Europe, I mean, in, in Western Europe. So we had such a big amount of data that we had to do an interactive piece because you can't ask to people to um, go through one by one. However, 
If you just have like a, a small to fair amount of data, you, I wouldn't advise to, if it's just like to be playful, yes, you can. But then useful, I don't know, it depends. The, do you want to put so much effort in something that is not going to be used like, you know, for such a long time? Because interactive is quite, I mean, uh, building infographic is, is time consuming, but interactive is like crazily time consuming. <laughs> so <laughs> hope that helps. Um, your talk focused a lot about the journalism aspect of it, but um, what are the entrepreneurial possibilities that this data has created for an organization such as Lloyds Banking Groups? It seems to me there's a, you could use that data very strategically to open up marketplaces and to market certain segments in your never way before. Has, has, has an organization like Lloyds Banking Group, I don't know what it's like now, I used to work there, it was quite, because of its size, they're inherently quite conservative in their structures because they have to be because they're big. Right. How is, how is, is there any examples how you would use that data internally to A, change that conservatism and B, focus on the opportunities that the insights give you? So exactly, um, you're totally right. Actually, if uh, I do all of this, it's to lead to good business decisions, uh, hopefully. I mean, if you spark the, the dialogue between different departments, it's because you want them to team up. You want them like, hey guys, I've seen something into mortgage you could be interested in. Or like, like for instance, um, like recently, um, I mean recently, like a couple of months ago, um, I saw something in the data, it was quite interesting. Uh, it was that we have X amount of uh, students so we can identify uh, identify because of student uh, loan payment I mean student loan and we didn't have the same matching amount of student accounts and we were like but our students are missing out because the student accounts gives you like discounts uh, for like uh, student bills or even like clothes or anything so why aren't they using it is it us do we are we making a mistake somewhere or aren't we advertising it enough or is it not interesting enough of an offer so we came back to the people so after doing the data we made i mean i created infographic about it and we came back to a student, uh, like we have a department uh, with our different current accounts. We came back to them and we said, oh, have you noticed that? And they said, oh yeah, that's actually very interesting. What are we going to do about that? And they actually changed marketing and offer just to match more the desire of people. It's always like this. You're totally right. Like you see something in the data, but the goal is not just to spot something and like, oh yeah, that was fine and a good, good story. The main goal is to actually bring changes. Yeah. Uh, thanks, thanks, for your, thanks for your talk. Um, I, I used to work in a bank and we spent a lot of time, <coughs> a ridiculous amount of time, trying to tailor our presentations to the sort of whims of the, the senior management. And that, um, that information as to who liked what and how was stored basically in the team and in the hierarchy on the way up. Has your team like, identified, like you get uh, data based on how your audiences use your stuff, I, I assume. H have you found a way of storing that insight so that it could be, so that if you all left, the team retains it? Because I'm sure there's insight there in terms of you know, how people use your, your different stuff. Very good question. So what actually happens on that internal Facebook, everything is stored, it's like, a, um, we've created a group, uh, it's, like, it's like a Facebook page, so you create a page and we have like many categories into it and it's, we're really trying, because it's just as you said, like yesterday I saw, um, I went to, 
I wrote a chapter for a book and like one of the data journalists was kind of a star in the little data journalism world, uh, Simon Rogers, and he said something interesting. He said PDF are where data goes to die. And that is totally true. So how do you make it? It's like how do you change that? Especially when now we're evolving, but instead of having piles of reports on your desk, you have kind of piles of reports everywhere on your desktop. So how do you do this? You post online on this internal, you categorize it, you tag, you, um, you make it easy uh, for people. And I do a lot, lots of my time is also spent on trying to um, give guidelines to people. Like, uh, oh, how can I use this group? Uh, how is the best way? What, have you ever produced something about, because we're customer insight, so people, they come to us when they want, they want information, that's the, that's the goal. So, do you have some information about this? I'm like, oh yes, we have this, this, and this, and it's stored there. That way, hopefully, they know in their team. Or what we do as well, it's like we go, uh, so we're 200 in my, uh, in my department, and we go by small groups, and we do um, proselytism <laughs> to other groups and other teams, and we're like, hi, so we have this wonderful group, have you ever heard of it? Uh, I think we should, you should get engaged with it, and instead of sending us request uh, every like couple of months for data you can dig into it for yourself because the data is also about empowering people trying to get them get, like get their interest raised and people like uh, i've heard from senior people like oh yeah but people are not data literate they're not interested but i don't think it's true i think people they do want to get into it because they know there is an incredible amount to be gained from it and once you just give them that step which is interest bit of storytelling, you know, bit of interest, you raise interest, and people are way more keen to dig into the data by themselves and to ask for it as well. It's not so much like, oh yeah, it dies in a corner of your desktop anymore. So I'm not saying like we've reached perfect time, perfect solution, but we're trying. Um, I have a question. Um, when you pulling together your stories and your visualizations, where do you get your inspiration for creating them? So um, I have a, 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 an ex-boss of mine who told me, I uh, said something, uh, don't be afraid to uh, copy or steal <laughs> from people. And I must say that I copy, oh, stealing is a bit harsh, but I copy and I uh, extend, change the design, change the color. I love this illustration. So oh, I copy half of it, it changed all the half. Or like that was a wonderful way of expressing the data. I'm just going to copy this or use this with my data. I don't think, I mean, I'm not like, uh, you know, Michelangelo. I'm not creating everything from my mind. I'm just like, wow, that looks amazing. Let's do it, you know. I think, I think uh, lots of incredible visualizations are out there. And it would be a crime not to use them, honestly, for inspiration. Are there specific places that you go to <laughs> to find them? I do have uh, many websites, yeah. So I have Muesli. Uh, it's kind of a, um, it's like, it takes your Google uh, page. Uh, um, when each time I log in, on, uh, on it shows up like little articles. And uh, it's designer, you have Dribbles on it. Uh, Dribbles is like designer, um, uh, um, a website that, so they show lots of illustration and marketing stuff for like, for, for, 
the data side, I'm going to go for things such as uh, data blog of the Guardian. I'm going to use uh, all those people I really love, like their website, like uh, David McCandless as well. He has an amazing website. He, he, he did some a book that is information is beautiful. It has amazing um, visualization. A very, I mean, I would really much advise you to have a look. It's all about things um, you'd be interested in, such as like uh, like stress on the internet, so you can see like what people are stressed about over time or like that sort of thing. I would say the New York Times uh, would, uh, is really, it has very, very good visualization as well, like such as like, where are the schools around you that are doing well? I like uh, even about, I mean, the elections, US elections, really interesting. I mean, um, data, I think it's called Data Store. So that's the data um, about London. So you have all sorts of interesting data like uh, population, uh, immigration, consumption, energy, and it's very looking very pretty. So, and they're doing like, uh, it's public data. It's, I mean, you get to know a bit more about your own city and it's quite interesting. So there are like lots of things out there. Or sometimes, sometimes I'm just very lazy and I type best infographics <laughs> on Google and it shows me a whole bunch of um, good infographics that I can hopefully steal some elements from. Great, thank you. Any more? Thank you for your talk. Um, so you mentioned that you want people to be empowered with data. Um, where do you see the future of data journalism going and how do you see the industry empowering more people with data? Do you see more interactive tools coming out? Um, you know, what, what do you think lies ahead as more and more people do become interested and, and start engaging? I do, so um, it brings me to a presentation we had like, a few months ago um, at the bank and it was really interesting because they were saying that every 20 years so now we're going to all live like 100 years old congrats and every 20 years you're not going to do the same things the same job forever you know your job may disappear or be replaced so every 20 years you may just convert to another job like retrain or like evolve and i think it's it's a bit of the same with um, data journalism People at the beginning were not that data literate. Like seriously, uh, ask a journalist to come to town. It was a bit, bit of a nightmare. Like we, we were not trained that way, you know. We're like, oh yeah, writing and like, interviewing people and putting the story together. And now, now I went to university yesterday. Like uh, and data, there was only journalist students, and they were all like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. we're really much into like write, uh, like accounting and statistics, like basic stuff. You know, it's not like. It's not rocket science. Even I, uh, I mean, I'm not like uh, that great with numbers, but like it's logical. So you kind of, what I'm trying to say is like the big math, like the, this kind of fear of math is going to like disappear because as much as you're going to see it in the newspaper or like in every, in every, every marketing campaign and people, they want to know more about their own personal data. So you have the motive for them to get interested in two numbers. Like, oh, how many times a year have you eaten beef? Or like how many kilograms are like uh, your uh, Amazon's going to tell you like uh, <coughs> how many of toilet paper rolls you've used or like <laughs> and also stuff like your heartbeat or like how many miles have you walked this year or like you know those are graphs and they're average and means and medians and you're gonna want to know more about it because it relates to you personally so obviously when you're interested into a topic you're gonna get into it more this is where I think data journalism will help people and, and 
will only grow because m as more people get interested into the topic, like obviously you get like more more su like more money coming in, obviously. So that's how I hopefully see it. Just as a follow-on question, how do traditional business analysts inside your organization viewed your impact? Because to be quite frank, they must be absolutely bricking it, knowing that you're so close to the data, being able to show all these customer insights. Whereas the traditional Excel spreadsheet business analyst, they're going to be sitting there feeling 20 years behind in a day. How do you deal with those internally? <laughs> That's really nice. But to be fair with my team, they're really, really much into data visualization. Honestly, like data analysts from before, maybe your time, don't look, I mean, that's not so long ago, but they don't look like the data analysts today because in my team, like they understood very well. Okay, they're not creating infographics, or some of them are, or, but they're creating presentations because what's the point of having your lovely well insights or your bunch of insights if you can't actually use it because no one understands, you see? So they're really, really trying to put a story together. Like, uh, you'd be surprised, though, honestly. So that's your team. There's going to be people in other sub-departments that still be showing stuff on PowerPoint, on Excel spreadsheets, right? They do. Yeah. PowerPoint, actually. But you can tell lots of good stories with PowerPoint. Look at me. <laughs> I'll accept that point. <laughs> <laughs> Got a question from, on Twitter from Alex G. Smith, who asks, how do you use data visualization insight to challenge your senior leadership assumptions or norms that are embedded in an organizational culture? Ah, that's a good question. This is controversial. I have to be careful there. Uh, so how do we do this? I think, I think that is true. We have uh, uh, 250 years of tradition, so it's difficult to to uh, be too controversial. And um, often, often I'm. I'm I'm pulling on the on the string. I'm like uh, like having those daily mails uh, headlines, and they're like, no, Isabella, we can't get this out. Like it's impossible. No, no. And I'm like, okay, fine. But you always can kind of challenge. You know, it's not like like uh, there is not that vision that is true. It's it's a big organization, but we're really much open to change because we see uh, the the competition. You know, with fintech, and we understand the benefit as well uh, for our customers. So we're not like close to oh yeah blindfolded and my boss are you know they're young and dynamic and like the team is quite young as well you have obviously senior people but they're not senior for nothing most of the time they're quite clever as well so that helps and when you're actually pushing something like they're like okay I understand your point. Maybe they're going to turn my proposal, my team's proposal down because they have a bigger view than I have. Because obviously, such a big organization, you have to consider not only your little small department, but like the bigger team and the bigger picture. Or they're going to say, okay, you know what? That's a fair change. I see the inside, I see the data backing you up. Let's do something about it. You know, like, and this is how we have like new proposals every day. I mean, uh, new products, and we're really trying to tailor to the needs of people. I mean, um, obviously, if we see that more young women are investing into mortgages, we're like, oh, we want to help those uh, women to get into the the property ladder as well. Can we uh, create a product that will help those people and answer their needs? You know, it's. It's not all about like uh, being uh, like a dinosaur because we know we know we're, we're, we're gonna die. Uh, dinosaurs, so they went extinct. <laughs> so it's not our case. <laughs> um, 
So hopefully it's going to have all. Thank you. Uh, I think we should probably finish up now. Um, next week, we've actually got a talk on open banking, which is also very relevant and where they're up to. Um, so um, please do sign up or watch the live stream next week. But can we thank Isabel again? And thanks all for coming. Thank you very much for your attention. You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.